This is Speaker Series Rewind, a podcast by High Alpha. In this series, we revisit our favorite discussions from High Alpha Speaker Series events. Welcome to our monthly speaker series. And each week, we'll introduce you to the industry leaders, successful entrepreneurs, and investors running everything from breakout SaaS companies to professional racing teams and beyond. I am really, really excited for this conversation. You'll hear ideas that will inspire you to overcome obstacles. There's no construction manual when you start your first company. Become a better leader and try new things. When I see a new product category that someone says, like, it's the dumbest thing ever. Oh, okay, that sounds interesting. Because after all, good leaders are always learning. You are not expected to know the answer. Instead, you're expected to learn the answer. Get ready to build better habits. We are what we repeatedly do. And embrace conflict. Conflict is healthy. Conflict should be expected. With inspirational interviews from High Alpha. Welcome back to Speaker Series Rewind, a podcast hosted by High Alpha. My name is Emma Ryan, and I'm super excited to share today's episode with you all. For those of you new to the show, we revisit High Alpha Speaker Series events. In Season 2, we're giving you a peek behind the curtain into the world of venture capital through conversations with leading investors. In today's episode, we're revisiting our Speaker Series event from May 2017 with Gordon Ritter, founder and managing partner of Emergence Capital. Gordon gave a presentation around the rise of coaching networks and the next era of software that won't be based on forms. High Alpha Managing Partner Scott Dorsey and Gordon also sat down in a fireside chat to talk more about Gordon's background in SaaS and his coaching network thesis. With that, let's get into the episode. Gordon is a founder and partner with Emergence Capital. Uh, has been a friend of mine for, for many, many years, and it's really a dream for us to get a chance to work together. Gordon is really the lead investor behind High Alpha Studio. Gordon lives in San Francisco with his uh, wife, Amy, and has four children. Gordon uh, attended Princeton and was a part of the crew team. And, uh, and hopefully I can pull out some stories uh, for Gordon along the way, but he's, he's really kind of a, a super endurance athlete and, and pushes himself in some really unique ways, I think, in his personal and, and kind of physical sports life, but also in, in, in the business world. Gordon's had an incredibly successful career, both as entrepreneur and operator and, then, and also venture capitalist. And Emergence made their kind of special mark on the world, really by being the first venture capital firm 100% focused on SaaS in the cloud, and did that remarkably well with an early investment in Salesforce, and then later Box, and then Viva, which hopefully we'll talk about Viva just being an absolute runaway success. But I really give Gordon and his team credit, and, and a lot of this falls to Gordon and his vision around really helping SaaS and cloud come to life. And, and let's say that was maybe their investment thesis one. Thesis two was about the industry cloud, and Viva really is the best example, multi-billion dollar uh, publicly traded company. Gordon is chairman, focused on building cloud software around one specific industry, and we call that the industry or the vertical cloud. And now he's been hard at work on a thesis of what's next, what's the third wave, and Gordon's going to talk to us about coaching networks. So please join me in giving Gordon a very warm high alpha welcome. Well, thanks, everybody, and uh, really so happy to be here. I want to just tell a quick story of how Scott and I, kind of why I'm so lucky to be able to be here with you guys is because Scott turned me down for exact target twice, <laughs> twice, two times. He really tried, but he kept on saying, you know, I think we'll find a way to get this done. And he kept on coming back. Here's an opportunity, but never quite right. And I was never able to get be a direct investor with Scott in exact target. It was that we had just raised the fund and we were in the circle. We are brand new. We really, it was our, would have been our first investment. 
other than salesforce.com, which we did before we raised the fund. And it was right on this circle that we tried to make the deal. And, and it was little emergence. And you'll see we're still little compared to some of the behemoths out there. It's insight coming from New York, right? And, and insight capital made the investment. And since then, I've just been a little bit uh, perturbed at Scott, but he's okay. <laughs> so we built a, a bunch of things that didn't go well, right? Things that we couldn't quite make it work, but we had countless conversations and hours spending time trying to find a way. He was trying to find a way. I really wanted to find a way. It just never quite worked. This time it really worked. And uh, High Alpha Studio and High Alpha in general is uh, such, a, such a treat for us. And I love to be here and I'm just glad to be able to come for the speaker series. So hopefully you'll invite me back sometime. So let me dive in. Do we have a clicker or should I? Oh, there it is. So I'm gonna talk just for a few minutes about emergence just to give you some context and that'll help to frame this what I think is the next wave and a wave that I think is far bigger. If you think forms-based software for the last 40 years has been pretty good in terms of helping with productivity, helping us all do our job better, what's coming, I think, is orders of magnitude more powerful if it's done right. Now, I'm not saying it's going to for sure happen, although we have two or three really interesting examples, but if we all start thinking about where this goes, it's going to make us better at our even if we're working on forms-based software projects, which we have plenty of in our portfolio, we can think about how we can tune those to be even better than the last 40 years of, of software. So quick overview of emergence, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Scott was kind to say, you know, we've, we have had some successes. I'm just going to frame, start with the successes, and I'll frame why a relatively small venture firm has been able to do this. This is our, I know from the back, you may not be able to, to see this, but this is a log scale, by the way, because <clears throat> if we didn't have log scale, you know, Salesforce and Viva would be just sort of off the charts, and then everything else would look small, including success factors at $4.5 billion. So it's a log scale from $100 billion to, you know, down to zero. And these are investment dates and, and where we ultimately exited. And in many cases, we haven't exited. Salesforce, we haven't, we're still... We have a small piece, but we still have a piece of Salesforce invested. These are the, the companies this venture is all about. Venture capital at our stage, sort of Series A, Series Bs is where we focus. You've got to find something that is unobvious. If, if it's obvious, if everybody's figured it out, you've got to keep moving to the next thing that's unobvious. And then we'll, Scott and I will talk about that during our, our, our chat together. But the only reason why... Salesforce and SuccessFactor and certainly Viva and ServiceMax and Box, that, we, that those became such big wins is when we invested, it was not obvious. Yammer was, nobody understood Yammer. You all know a little bit about what Yammer did. It's now looking like old school because it died within Microsoft, but it was bought by Microsoft for $1.2 billion. That concept of an enterprise social network, nobody, there were five or six companies doing it. No one really knew who was going to win. And this company just out of the blue because they had great engagement metrics with all of their just took off and, and was a very successful example. So I won't go into each of the companies, but this is what venture is all about, is finding those diamonds in the rough. And the key is in anything we're doing with our careers or with our, with our investment dollars, you're going to be in it for five, six, seven years before it ultimately exits, either goes public or, or... So anything that's hot today, that's absolutely on fire today, I'll just tell you, probably 
be the thing that's on fire in five or six or seven years. And if you just remember that when you go through anything that seems hard today, a little bit like, oh, I don't know if it's going to matter. Those are the things that matter, potentially. They don't always matter. But if you do the stuff that's absolutely hot and obvious today, you know, that's not what kind of uh, really stepping out from an innovation and, and entrepreneurship perspective is all about. And we live this at Emergence. This is, this is hard to read from the back, but these are our core values that we've run the firm on. When Brian and Jason and I formed the firm, we started with these pretty darn similar to this. We got together, we actually hired an organizational psychologist to talk about how we work together, how our different personalities work together, because a venture firm is almost like a marriage. As, as the High Alpha team has seen, you're working together really closely, and if you, have, you, you want to have a diverse set of backgrounds, but a common set of sort of core values, and we, we've kind of brought that together. One of the big ones for emergence is we really prize working as a team. You know, I've been a CEO multiple times over, but sometimes a CEO is a pretty lonely role. And if you really have to be the grand poobah, a venture firm is harder because you want to make sure you're working as a team together, making team decisions. Many venture firms are based on sort of individual, like Andreessen Horowitz, names on the door, right? Those, they're, kind of, they're driving the firm. We set up a firm that's very much based on a team approach. We all do our diligence on, on investments together and so forth. So that's one of the big values we have uh, as a team is unanimous enthusiasm, enthusiasm, which means when we, when we make a decision on an investment, we do it as a group. We do diligence as a group. Obviously, focus, which you've heard. You know, we were the only firm that really focused on the cloud. And then we focus on an industry cloud. And now we're going to be focusing on where AI and machine learning are going. But you really win when you focus. Unlike many venture firms, they become peanut butter. They just spread out and become a little bit of semiconductors, a little bit of software, a little bit of healthcare devices, a little bit of, and you kind of have a, you're not good at any one thing, but you're good at, you're kind of halfway good at a lot of things. We think that's not the way to produce those kind of returns that I, that I mentioned earlier. So these are, we take these very seriously and, and, and live by them. And this is a, Interesting chart that we just shared internally, but I thought it'd be interesting for you all to see this. This is mind-boggling. So this is the fundraising for, take it the last 10 years, of the firms that we compete against as emergents. Uh, and, and obviously, we also partner with. But look at the amount of money that NEA, that's $10 billion, has been raised by NEA in the last 10 years. You know, Sequoia, Axel, Dreset Horowitz, Lightspeed, Greylock. And little emergence down here, you know. And I'm not saying, by the way, $810 million is a lot of money. But look at this. I mean, look at that. It's just mind-boggling the amount of money that's out there. That's both a huge opportunity for all of us to do early stage because we can, we can attract some of that money into our companies as we grow. But it also says, how do you get a return on $10 billion? You just... You're, and that's back to, it's peanut butter. It's, they're, they're an index of sort of, they're slightly better than investing in the NASDAQ index. I'm not going to name any names, but you can just invest in the NASDAQ or you can invest in this and you're going to get a, maybe a little better return. But for all the work and the fees, why not just invest in the NASDAQ? Because these are just enormous firms that are doing, these include, by the way, growth equity and other, other areas, but it's just mind boggling to me. So what I would try to highlight here is this is called focus. If you don't focus, you don't get to compete against those guys. 
You just never, you'll never win. And so there's one word that comes, I hope you synonymize with, that's a word, if you, if you connect with emergence is we are focused. And the only way to win, I think, in any domain is by focusing. Because if you're, if you're too broad, it, it doesn't pay off. All right, so now let me jump into kind of where that focus has, has shown up with emergence. We put together, you know, these are the, the three triads of what drives the, what we call the emergence effect. And most important at the top is this idea of vision and focus. I'll say focus again. And it's that, we, again, we don't want to be doing what's obvious today. We want to make some bets about where the future's headed and, 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 and invest behind that. And then there's really important, like High Alpha does for, for you all, go-to-market expertise and talent network. I mean, these are really important stuff. And I'm not, don't short, I'm not at all short-selling that at all. But many venture firms say they do this. You know, they all say, but kind of coupled with focus, I think we do this even better because we have all cloud investments. We have all cloud executives. Our network is the same, is the same thing. But it all comes back to, to focus and, and this vision. So that's what I'm going to be spending the, the time on to, for the rest of the few minutes before we dive in. And this is the history of our focus at the, at the, at the highest level. Scott touched on it. But with our, I, I founded a company with Mark Benioff called Software as Service. So kind of happened to coin the name. Mark and I, I was within IBM and he recruited me out because I helped him start Salesforce in the early days from my GM position at IBM after I sold one of my companies there. He was looking for the IBM logo. And so we had the chance to invest in Salesforce very early. And that drove our entire, both my background with Mark and our investment, drove an entire horizontal cloud theme where we constantly found new companies. In the early days, remember, companies like SuccessFactors, it wasn't clear that that the cloud even mattered, that people were going to put their data out, you know, out on the network. So that was a bet we were making, and we bet the farm, we bet our entire firm on this. In fact, our early investors said, you know, Gordon, I thought this is around 2003 or four. For many of you, that'll seem like ancient history. But that was, if you remember the, the last big bubble bursting, it was about the dot-com and the sock, pu- sock puppets. Well, our investors said, God, I know you guys are passionate about this, and I think this cloud thing is interesting, but I have no idea what you're talking about, but why are you investing in a dot-com? You know, they honestly thought we were going back to the dot-com days. And clearly, this is a little, Salesforce is a little different dot-com. And then with an investment in Viva Systems, we saw that there was this unique opportunity. It had always been that horizontal software companies were the only way to win. If you're doing a vertical software company, you're kind of the poor stepchild to the horizontal, that everybody wins on the big, broad peanut butter and then anybody trying to just focus on an individual domain means you can't make it in the big leagues. And Viva turned that upside down. Viva Systems right now, and I'm really proud to say, right at this moment, is the highest multiple software company on the planet. And I mean, it's just mind-boggling. And it's all the stuff we thought we'd be able to articulate to the market, but it's because there are a lot, there, you all know these data points, lifetime value over CAC is seven and a half times. And the next closest to ServiceNow, these are public companies, but ServiceNow is at about four. So we are, and then everything else, if you look at the chart, it's like all the rest of the public SaaS companies, their lifetime value to CAC, which is sort of the ultimate value, 
just trails off to, I think Cornerstone on Demand, not to name names, but they're, the first, they're like one-to-one. -one. <laughs> How do you get one-to-one? -one? You can't have one-to-one -one for lifetime value. That's just not gonna go very far. So, so the market's starting to really understand these, uh, these qualities. So, and then we built a whole practice around focusing on industry cloud and, and the like. And then finally, ServiceMax, we just sold to General Electric for a billion dollars. It's the first billion dollar exit of a cloud company to a non-software company. So it was outside of, of the software industry. And we think that's going to be a, a trend that will continue. And that was based on, again, the explosion of mobile devices, but finding it how mobile will affect the enterprise. And what ServiceMax does is field service optimization, if, if you all uh, uh, have not heard about those guys. So think of each of those companies led to a theme that we focus like a laser on. And, and that's been very valuable. So let's get to the heart of it. What's next? You know, these have been big themes. We've been touch wood. We've been right about those themes, mostly because we're willing to focus, if I haven't said that enough. This is the next one. So the next era of software is really going to follow this trend. You've got the horizontal cloud did exactly what was done before in client-server software, but now done in the cloud. So it was, a, it was really a replacement model of taking client-server-based software and, and replacing it with a horizontal cloud equivalent. Then industry cloud kind of broke the mold. We'd learned more about how uh, software works and how it, how it can be. You can major in the customer and minor in software. It's a really important idea about industry cloud because before, if you built billions of lines of code to do CRM or let's say Documentum, do uh, content management for the life science industry, you're not going to then do another billion lines of code to do CRM in the life science industry. You're not going to major in the life science. You're going to just go broad. You can now, with, with the cloud technologies that are available, you can get things out more quickly and you can major in knowing what the needs are of a customer and layer the cake. You can offer, offer all the different technologies together that is what Viva's doing, and that's why Viva is, is as successful as it is. So that was a gestalt. That was a different way of looking at the world. Horizontal cloud really wasn't. It was sort of doing what client-server does, just doing it in the cloud. And there's a whole bunch of value there. This was a big gestalt. This, was a, this is the world has changed for software, and we think Viva is going to lead that train, change. But get ready for this one. This next one, if, if this cycle, if client-server software was $10 per user per month, as a concept, as a, as a kind of roughly what you were paying for that stuff you'd put on your servers. Benioff introduced $100 user per month. Viva is about maybe $200 or $250 per user per month because it's customized for those users and they use it in a whole bunch of ways. This is $1,000 per user per month, what I'm about to talk about. That if we do this right, we're going to get so much more productive that I think you'll be able to charge orders of magnitude uh, more money. And we have some, you know, some early examples. So here's what we're talking about. And this is kind of all at once. But let me, uh, I'll walk you through it. The, the, the concept behind coaching networks is that taking everything we do every day, any job we're performing, and kind of we come out of a meeting, what do we do? We write down a couple notes. We go to our CRM and we type it into a form. Whether it's a form that's the size of a note form or we're, we're fundamentally reducing our activities to something that we can codify into a little form. Well, the next phase of software is basically gonna be we just do what we do, whether we're talking in a sales meeting 
or we're writing a job post or writing of all kinds. And you're going to be doing that with other users. So this is, this is sort of the activity is done at the, at the, at the base. This gathering behaviors, it's going to be hard to read from the back. I'm sorry, folks. That do what you do in a given domain, gather the information about what those activities are. Let me just pause and do it. Let me do it the simple way. How many of you folks have a Fitbit watch or anything that tracks your behavior? Your, so perfect. I should just start there. Fitbit, what you all are doing in that very simple domain of how many steps am I taking, how, many, how are my workouts going, how, imagine that, and we're all getting used to that on our wrist. Imagine that for every activity we do, where it really matters. Like not, this is like a personal thing, but how about if when we really want to get more productive in our jobs, by those domains of projects that we do, it, it in effect gathers your behavior, again, using data, I'll just read it for the back, IoT sensors. So all the sensors are now available. We can gather those, those data elements. And I'll have examples in a moment, but let me just set up the concept. Then combine that with other peers, just like Strava does if you're a cyclist or any of these apps. Combine that together with other peers doing the same job. I'm not trying, we're not trying to do it across every job on every system because that will be just a, that'll be complete garbage of data, but combine that together, use machine learning. And this is right. This is like machine learning is right down in here. It's not the hard part. This is machine learning is the, is the enabler of this tech, of this concept, but it's just taking the data. Once you have it, compare it with those in the case of Fitbit, what athletes run up a hill better than I do a lot do, but why do they run up a hill so fast? How are, what's their stride length? How quickly, what's their cadence? How, how much do they you know, move their arms? Are they shifting side to side? Are, heart, or do they gather their heart coming into the hill? And all of that data will inform me to do a better job when I'm going up a hill, a la when I'm writing an email, when I'm having a sales call, you'll see where all this goes. So then with the, the, the peer data, find out what works and doesn't work. That's the comparing is where the machine learning comes in. And then here's the critical part is coaching. How do I then get the feedback from my job, whatever job I'm doing that is valuable, that I, that I listen to it, that I take advantage of, that I, that I bring it into my way of running this business, my, this domain, and the cycle repeats. So let me use the Fitbit example. If I'm running up that same hill and I'm striding, to, and then this thing saying, Gordon, you know, you're striding too quickly, you're striding too, I'll just say, shut up, I'm turning this thing off. Like, do not talk to me right now. I'm on a hill, I'm tired, I do not want you to talk to me. But if there's a, if there's a vibration on there that gives me a little signal, or it's an ear, I'm, I'm wearing my, my running uh, uh, headgear, and I want to quickly be told what to do, there's a whole new user interface that's going to have to be designed, and it's not going to be a form or a table, or any of the stuff we're used to in software. So both you do your job, so you're not inputting form data anymore because it gathers it automatically, and you get the feedback in a way that's completely new too. It's not forms-based. So if, you haven't, if there's one takeaway, forms are dead in the years ahead. It's gonna be do what you do, and it automatically tracks uh, and loops it. So I tried to talk through this, and so let me hit through and I'll, you can get a copy of these slides. This final piece is really important. In fact, I'll, I'll end on it in, in a bit, so I'll come back to it. But the critical part is the human, the, the worker, we'll say, all of us as workers, 
are absolutely at the epicenter of this. This is not where the, the user simply listens to the software and does the thing the software tells them to do and then slowly but surely works themselves out of a job. If that's the where, where, where AI and, and machine learning are going, and by the way, you probably all read about it, right? That it's gonna run our, it's gonna take away all the mundane tasks we do. And then all they say is take away all the mundane tasks and then just then you'll have more time for other stuff. Or take away all main tasks and your job is gone. You know, it just depends on which way that goes. And right now, a lot of the trend is for workers that, that your job will ultimately not you know, not be around if those mundane tasks are taken away. What the exciting part about why we, we called it coaching network and so forth is the human, the worker, is in the middle of this loop. And they're the only thing that makes this software come alive. If it's just analyzing data and the data is relatively stagnant, you don't need a human in the loop at all. You can just sort of, the human can be replaced and sales calls will just happen without we feel we're confident that the human in the loop is absolutely critical, really, to almost mutate the system, keep coming up with the next new ideas that makes this get better and better. So let me jump to two examples, because that'll obviously bring it home. And in some ways, they could even be reversed. It'll, it'll make more sense. But I want to talk about two companies, and you should look them both up. One is called Chorus.ai, and I would uh, definitely take a peek at those guys. And then another one is called Textio. Dot com. Uh, so Textio, and then Maya, uh, I'll touch on if we have time. But Chorus is wild. And this is, I use this one as the best single example because it's, it's just mine. We'll all get it. Chorus sits in the middle of a rep, oops, a rep and a customer. And as you're having a sales call on Zoom or any of the different services, it automatically just joins the call. It knows when your meeting is scheduled. It just joins in the background. Has, puts a little you know, thing on the screen so it actually says you, you know, you're, you're being recorded so it knows the customer has been notified and the rep just does his or her thing. Hi, Mr. Customer, how are things going? Yeah, can I, now the discovery phase. Let me ask about the four questions that we've always found to be the most important parts of discovery. And then, then we get into the back and forth of how, what's the competitive issues and so forth. And then we get into the close. What's your budget? What's your time frame? All that life cycle of a sales call. There's a pattern to what makes a great sales call. It's not the same for every company by any means. And by the way, when this, when this coaching network kicks in, it's going to get more elaborate. There's going to be more unique ways to have that call. But it listens to the call and figure out simple stuff. Let's start with the really simple basics of how many questions are you asking the customer? Just simple stuff. And you can see the, the patterns of good sales reps that the more questions they ask and the more talk time the customer has, the more successful that's going. But to date, it's a massive black hole. Nobody has any idea whether that rep is good or bad or what techniques they're using because, other than their, their, you know, the final outcome. And once you can actually parse out what is an effective strategy for a sales call, the power is amazing, and we're already seeing. We have you know, still only a, a few thousand reps on the system. This is a relatively young company. But they can parse out the entire flow. Again, simple stuff in the beginning, because we don't want to freak out the sales reps. right? If you do too much, the reps are going to be like, don't just tell me right now that I have to ask the third question of the discovery model, because that would freak everybody out. And we don't want to freak out, meaning take you out of your flow. You'll be, you'll be trying to think about what the customer needs 
and not think about, and you shouldn't be thinking about the software. But over time, we're gonna introduce, here's a classic one. You, you get, all of a sudden, there's a question about a competitor. And you know you've got a cheat sheet about how to answer that question. But Chorus can figure that out before you need it. It can, as that question even comes up, and even the nuance of the way it's asked, up can come the best answer that another rep uses to solve that question. So I mean, you'd see where this is going. And, and this will get more and more and more powerful as the network of peers shows up. And I like to use the example of why does a human matter? Like, I'm sure you're all now saying, isn't this, aren't we now robots in the sales world? Aren't we just gonna be automatons? You know, here's the, it's, it's almost like the rep you call in India, and like it just happens to be, and they say, you know, hi, Mr. Ritter, how are you doing? My router's not working. Have you plugged it, unplugged it? You know, because they're just reading a script. They aren't, they don't actually know what a router is. They're just going through the motions. That sounds like, like, you know, Orwellian 1984, you know, horrible stuff. And we, that is not what this is, although I can understand why. I'm curious how you all are thinking about it. I can understand why you might say, God, that sounds scary. First of all, this is coming. It's definitely going to happen. The question is, how does it happen to, to bring us as workers into this, into this opportunity? So here's the example I like to give is, so if we just all follow the same logic, we all were in a conversation, I don't know about, about you all, but if I'm, if I'm really going to, if I'm, if I'm uh, at a loss for, for a brilliant thought, when I'm trying to build a relationship with someone, I try to say things like, how are your kids doing? You know, what's going on? Tell me how they're doing. It's a classic relationship building concept. Every sales rep does it if they can, you know, and find out, you know, building a relationship. And how about if every rep did that, it would be kind of, you know, kind of boring. You're, you're in a script. You're doing a classic, the customers at the other end going, I've heard that before. You're trying to build a relationship with me. All right, yeah, I have three kids. You know, it's just not valuable. Everybody does it because we think that matters. But how about if the customer is actually saying it's not that valuable? What about the rep that says, if they're going to build a relationship, hey, you know, the healthcare industry is a mess right now. You know, do you have, how are your parents doing? Aging parents are... There's a silly example, but just a rep who does something different and changes the game, that will filter in to the loop. Customers will be happier, feedback loop that comes from the, the customer sentiment when they go, yeah, I'm ready to buy versus, yeah, I'm ready to buy versus, yeah, I'm ready to buy. That whole accent and all of that feedback loop is built into what Chorus can do today. And so it's going to make it much more powerful for all of us to try new things, be more creative, do what is, at its core, what humans are good at. We shouldn't be doing the mundane tasks that just that we're clicking along, but as opposed to just saying, we're gonna take those away from you and not tell you how to do anything new with this amazing brain that we all have uh, available, that's what these coaching networks will help with. It really is allowing us to get better at our jobs, they give us more data, more information, and so forth. And then briefly, let me just give you that that's, it's not just, it's not just Textio, sorry, it's not just Chorus, but Textio, we don't, okay on time? Okay. It's not just uh, Chorus, Textio is doing the same thing and you all ought to try it. I think you've, you've worked with it, right? Yes, yeah, it's very, they're just, they're just killing it. What they do is for writing, they're starting in a very targeted domain, remember focus, that, that they didn't want to start in sales, 
email or sales conversations or even marketing because that's so crowded right now. Everyone says we can, you know, the classic one, I forget, I think it's called Crystal. I'm going to send a note to, to Scott. I'm going to hit his LinkedIn profile. And by the way he talks about himself, I'm going to figure out he wants direct communication. And I'm then going to write an email that uses direct communication. I mean, it's complete BS. There's no, there's no AI. It's a rules engine. It's trying to get you excited about what they, it can do. There's nothing there that gets smarter over time. It just, it's, a, it's marketing. It's marketing 101. Textio starting a very focused domain with about 100 million job postings because you can get them from public sources. It's publicly scrapable. And they figured out exactly the words in job postings that correlate with success. And they use that to prime the system. And now they're in with Apple and CVS and huge customers. They're still only about 18 months into their life, but their big customers are using it. And they're getting all of their longitudinal ATS data, they're basically their applicant tracking system data, to say how many people responded to the, to the job posting, how many people then took interviews, and all the way up. And, we, and it's scientifically proven that when you use the word you know, ninja, in your, your, that men might like that, although even men, even males don't like it. Females are like, eh, do not use ninja. Don't say we're, we're aggressive in what we do here. I mean, all those words sound silly, but this is the front door to your business for the most important assets we all have. And Textio is saying that is not the place, that is not the way to, to run a process of communication. So Textio has this really cool UI, back to the UI of, you know, don't buzz at me when I'm running up the hill. Don't have something where I've got to move outside of my writing. So as you, you know, you could do it today, take any job post you have, go to textio.com, just cut and paste. It lights up the text and gives you immediate feedback as to what words you might want to try changing, what words we think are really interesting, and, and maybe back to where your creativity is coming in. We haven't seen meme codification. That's a word, I, a phrase I have used once or twice and probably shouldn't. But so I've said meme codification. If, if they'll see that what I call brilliant outliers, I'm not saying that was brilliant, but if it were brilliant, they would look at it and go, God, Gordon's a pretty good writer. He tends to, he's the son of a Life magazine reporter, which my dad was. And, you know, he's a good writer. So I'm going to just track what he's doing and keep track of maybe the phrases he tries. And, and then another writer might also be good. I'm going to bring those in and just start seeding the, the, the system. I'm going to mostly focus on hard ROI, real proven data. But I'm going to bring in some of these unique ideas and, and filter that in. And the system will get smarter and smarter and smarter. So in both examples, of course, in Textio, and I'll, I'll stop there. Think of that. You're talking. And by the way, there's going to be a chorus for other domains of talking. So you guys could think right now. It's like, don't think chorus is going to own all of speech. They're going to own a, a conversation between a, a rep and a customer for a high-value product because it's a long, you know, longer sales cycle. That's how they've tuned it. There's going to be another one for customer success. There's going to be another one for all the different voice parts that we do all day long. There might be one for... How does a VC conduct a, a reference call? We do reference calls all day long. That'll be a pretty small market, but um, imagine I want to go through, a, I use Chorus today. I want to go through a reference call when I'm checking on folks and, and I want to have a, a feedback loop there. So voice will be broken up. There will be, a, there'll be two dozen really interesting, potentially billion dollar companies that simply focus on voice coaching networks. And then there's going to be 
four or five or uh, there'll be dozens of text-based ones that, that in different domains learn where our, our, our text-based communication is. There'll be one on how do we use not just writing or voice, but a combination of writing, voice, and how we interact with systems. And there'll be a, there'll be a, a coaching network, a dozen set of coaching network companies there as well. So in the same way that cloud software took client server and disrupted it with, with the cloud, this is going to happen across every domain of work that we do in these new coaching networks. And they're going to get smarter and smarter. And the classic question you're probably asking is, is Salesforce's Einstein going to win this, right? And I don't know if anybody from Salesforce actually here today? <laughs> you, would you admit it if you would? So, like, Einstein is not going to win at this. This is not, they're going to try. They're going to they're think they can do this. They'll, but Einstein is just getting to the point where they can rank who to call today. I mean, that's back to, that is so stupidly simple, which I'll end on here. Like, that is not valuable. That is not where we're going to change the game. We've got to be way ahead and plan for the next. Uh, so let me, let me end on this point, which would be the thing not to do. And this gets really to the heart of, of this, is, this is a passion for me, not, be, not only because it's $1,000 per user per month and it's going to be incredibly profitable. It's going to make what Salesforce has done look small if we do this right because this really improves the quality of, of human learning, but of, of software. But really, this is what it comes down to for me is I, two curves. So this is capability, so kind of the, the ability to, to, to get better and smarter. And then time is on the bottom. 40 years of forms-based software, technology has added a little, you know, has improved a little bit, a little better workflows, a little more intuitive and so forth, but kind of forms-based, not really doing much. And humans are getting a little smarter because of that and a little more productive because of that. But in the age of machine learning and AI, all this stuff you're hearing about jobs getting destroyed, robots coming in, it's happening. I think we all know it. So what's happening is, this curve is starting to dramatically increase. And most of the folks at Silicon Valley will say, we're all toast. So they have this universal income. You guys read a little bit about this. In the Valley, there's this new trend going on. It's just, it's frightening that, that this is how we solve it. We just say that there'll be a universal basic income and we'll all get paid to, I don't know, write books or something. I don't know. No, we can't write. No, that would be too hard. We all get paid just to kind of hang out you guys have read Ready Player One, like put on VR goggles and just hang out and, you know, it's, it's the matrix. It's truly the matrix. And it's, it's frightening that that's the best that comes out of Silicon Valley, honestly. So, but this is going to happen. I'm not denying that this is going to happen, but I, have a, I and we have a much better idea that humans are just getting started. We're, when we can get these kind of feedback loops about what works and what doesn't work, we're going to get smarter and smarter by, a, by kind of sharing those skills, sharing the best practices across these networks. And the problem will be, and this is where I'm getting to where Einstein and others may be, if all we do is listen to some bot that tells us what to do next. I was with a, a, a seasoned exec saying, all of my team in almost every domain, they're you know, younger sales reps, for example, and all they do is follow the script. It's back to the, the Indian uh, outsourcer. They just want to know, okay, who do I call first? Make the phone call. Okay, it didn't work. And, and there's almost no innovation left. They're following a script. And that is not where we want to go as a, as a society and as all of our companies together. 
We do not want to be creating crutch software. I'm obviously playing off the C. Uh, but crutch, you know, coaching versus crutch. We do not want to create kind of these AI-driven cogs for us all to sit in the middle of. And my example, quick one, is Waze. For those of us who use Waze, you use Waze, you punch in the number, and you don't even, maybe you check the routes thing if you're really innovative, but most of the time you just go and you drive, take a left, take a right, take a left. You get to your destination. You ever done that? You're on the call. It's like, shit, I'm here. I got here. I'm all ready to go. Pardon me. You can get that. You can. So, but you end up, and guess what you're getting ready to do? You're getting ready to be replaced by automated cars. You know, that it weighs is software leading us to not have a job. And so, I mean, it's not, notice not a lot of laughter except for Scott, because it's so true. And we are in, we are in trouble. We are, if we just sit back and go, let's, let's hook up with a bunch of Waze systems, we're not, we're not going to kind of ultimately lead the charge. So this is really inspirational to me. It's what is driving me for the next many decades, I hope, to, to see this come true. This, this will change lives uh, and make us, and I'll end on a note that I, I, around my father. I mean, all of us have like four or five lessons we've learned from people who really wanted us to know how to do things better. You know, I, I love, today you're probably saying, and if my dad were here, he'd be like, Gordon, you're waving your arms too much talking to a little too loud, you, you swore, bad idea. So, but you know, we, when we have somebody who's really good and trying to help us, we learn, we'll remember those five or six things from my dad. One of the things I'll never forget when I was kids, I walked a little pigeon toad and dad said, no, don't do that. And I remember, I was like, oh, I was a young kid. Think of that maybe we have five or 10 things we learned from our parents and that's over whatever. If you're lucky, you know, 50 years. Imagine if you could learn 50 of those kind of lessons every hour on this kind of system. How much better could we get? How much better? Gordon, stop waving your hands. Nobody's told me that. No, I have no feedback on what's going on. So I've waved my hands too much. I speak too loudly, too quickly when I get excited. Nobody has ever said, Gordon, if you just slow down a little, you, you do better. These systems will help us every day to be coached and helped along the way. It's what a coach does. If we could all have a professional coach in every domain sitting alongside of us, how much better would we be? That's what, what this is going to do. So why don't I pause? That was a little longer than planned, but we can take questions with Scott. Great. But thanks, right, everybody. Applause for Gordon. Yeah. Cool. Where I drove here with Waze this morning. So that's that's right. I know. Kind of had the nervous, nervous that, laughter about what's what going to happen to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, here's, a, here's a water for it. Yeah, Gordon, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Inspiring, thought-provoking, you know, maybe even a little frightening in some regards. But it's going to be new. It's, it's an important way for us to think about the future of software and the future of, of systems and humans interacting, which is really powerful. So I've got a few questions, and then I'll open up, open up to the audience for questions as well. So there, there's so many things I admire about you, Gordon. And at the top of the list is how you really think differently and really push yourself and others to think differently, often using the term, you know, what's not obvious. And it's been a joy for me to watch you develop this thesis around coaching networks over the last year. And I'll, I'll share a little story. Often I've asked Gordon, how's it going? What are you working on? And, and what I've always expected to hear is, I'm super busy, just had a Viva board meeting, I'm working on a few new deals. I actually never hear that. Gordon immediately goes to the coaching network. And it started with you know, Cloud 3.0, it evolved into coaching networks. It's, 
it's continued to iterate and iterate into the, into the product and in line of thinking it is today. And I think what I'd like to explore is how do you, how do you push yourself to think differently? And, and how did you develop this thesis around coaching networks? How do you manage the day-to-day super busy life that you have, that all of us have, phone calls, emails, responsibility, meetings, how do you carve out time to really think about what's coming next? Yeah, it's a great question. It's almost, again, what's obvious doesn't communicate to myself. I, it, it, it's something that's always been in me, and, and we can maybe get to that. Let's as do a that deeper, one next. Deeper, yeah, deeper yeah, question. But, so on, the, on the, the, the day-to-day, part of it is goes back to the team approach, right? that I mentioned at Emergence. We each play our role. If we all, it's, you've heard it a hundred times in your businesses, but we all play the same role in the, in the firm. If we had, you know, three, if everybody was selling or everybody was marketing or everybody was doing customer success, the company would not be as good as it is with everybody playing that role. In, in our firm, we look at it the same way, even though we could all, come, you know, it's like the soccer analogy, right? Go after the same ball, you know, and, and, Luckily, we all have different perspectives. One of my partners loves, he's a relationship person, amazing network, and he'll find all the deals that are happening today. The things that are, I'm not, and I, I would never use the term obvious, there's the ones that are, in, that are in the sweet spot today that are moving today. He is, I'm not a good relationship person, to be perfectly honest with you. Maybe that's one reason why I need Chorus as a, as a, as a system, but I'm not... I'm an idea person. I, I live and breathe. That's my whole, my whole career has been seeing these trends before they occur. And we'll talk about maybe why. So I just focus on what I'm good at. And if, if on our team, I tried to do what any of my other partners were doing, I wouldn't be doing my job. And maybe that's at other firms, they find that hard because everybody wants to be where the cool stuff is happening. I just kept on that I've got to be the one to come up with what's next. I did it. You know, that's part of my job at the firm. And if all of us were doing that, we wouldn't get any deals done. You know, we would actually, even though we're getting a lot done now, but there's a period there while this was incubating that I was not very excited about what we were doing. And yet we got some other wonderful deals done. I just wasn't doing them. So part of it is know what you're good at and focus like a laser on don't get, dis- don't get distracted by what others are doing realize I've got a, a role to play and that's the role that matters. That's really good. And how, how do you do it? Is, how much reading do you do, writing do you do, socializing the concept with others? You know, what, what's that creative innovation process look like? It's, it's, it is, it's hard and I've been asked that a lot. My wife included, she's like, where the heck did you come from? Because I don't, I, you look at, you know, I, I, I grew up in Maine. I, my dad, my parents were not entrepreneurs. Though, for the most part, not entrepreneurs at all. The, the root of it is another story, which we might get to later. But my main thing is I, I can't stand doing what is sort of the, what, if every VC would look at the same investment and say it's, it's gone from one to three in ARR over, and everyone would do the same bond math against that, meaning, you know, it's a, it's a bond, it's extreme of cash flows. And in the early days of the cloud, we were inventing cloud bond math, you know, how you evaluate customer, you know, unit economics and all of that. But then when everybody started talking about it, I get the willies. I just, I'm like, <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? We cannot be talking about this. And uh, I'm not going to go on record here with this one, but there are large conferences that occur in our industry. 
and I look around, I'm not sure we're seeing a lot of innovation. If you remember back in, in the last cycle, Comdex, hundreds of thousands of people were going to Comdex, and it was the walking dead. It was the walking dead. This is not where you actually want to be. That is not where the next wave is coming from. If your role is to you know, get a job and do something that's kind of safe and secure and in, the, in a, a good, solid zip code, no harm, no foul. But if our job is to be looking forward, we're all young in our careers. I'm young in the career I've chosen. And because I want, you want to keep learning and keep trying, you've got to be on something that's new, something that's going to matter in, in a few years. And, and so what I, what I love to do is, is I just look around saying, gosh, is everybody really spending that much attention on, on basic bond math? We've got to be moving forward. So it got me to think, what's the obvious next step? Yes, it's AI and machine learning, but it can't be the one that everybody's thinking it is because that's not sufficient. And the gestalt was, it's all about the human. It's all about human-to-human interaction is the only thing that can't be just turned into an algorithm because we're humans. We're biological. We have this massive, inner, you know, unique way of looking at the world that will never be turned into an algorithm. So I want to focus all of our companies on human-to-human, some part of human-to-human interactions. Think of Chorus, think of Textio. It's all about communication of one type or another. If it's driving a car, that's going to go away. I mean, that's, uh, we will, that'll be done. Human to machine, anything that's human to machine, just watch out. Don't spend too much time on human to machine because that will ultimately, the machine will win that game. Human to human will win that game. And that's where we, I think we can even do a lot better than we're doing today. That's really good, Gordon. Okay, so, so let, this is kind of a, segue to just learning more about you and kind of what motivates you, how you're fueled. Last summer, Emergence has a really neat thing that after 10 years, the employees and partners get a chance to take a one-month sabbatical, yeah, maybe even longer. 10 years, it's, uh, yeah, 10 years is one month, and then the 15 years was two months. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So Gordon decided during a sabbatical last summer that he'd run across Switzerland. Small little task, 20, 25 miles a day through, through a lot of hilly terrain. 8,000 meters, 8,000 feet a day. 8,000 feet a day. So why in the world would you choose to do that? Or maybe use that as a, as a way to talk about just why you push yourself, what motivates you, and you know, maybe talk about it in a personal sense and how that translates into business. Right. And I think this is pretty typical for entrepreneurs, right? I mean, on, I think the root of it is where I get my solace, my meditation, my getting all the noise out of my head is when I'm doing something that's hard. And if things are easy, mind wanders, right? It's just all, you're kind of in there going, hmm, okay, there's a bunch of other things I could be doing right now. Maybe it's a bit of ADD. I don't know where it comes from, but I need intensity to remind me, kind of get back to my core, get back to what, what matters. I think a lot of, and by the way, meditation is another great one. I'm just not good at it. I can't, I can't just calm down and like yoga, all of that stuff. I do oh just doesn't work for me. It's beautiful if it could, but I need the exertion. But I think the fundamental difference is I like things that are hard. Most people don't. There's a great book called Thinking Fast and Slow or the latest Michael Lewis book. I can't believe I'm forgetting the name. I'm reading it right now. But the latest Michael Lewis book is all about this this concept. It was a Nobel Prize winning uh, psychologist who figured out that our brains actually use a lot of energy when we're working through hard stuff. So guess what we do? We avoid that. When it's a really hard problem, 
we default to what's called system one thinking, which is intuitive. Hey, I'm going to, I think I'm you know, going to quickly go to this particular subject now because Scott asked that question. I kind of react almost on autopilot. And you know, a good chunk of the time, it's exactly the right use of time because I, my instincts are right. I'll make a jump. But a lot of it on big picture stuff like what's the next thesis that's going to matter in the future of software or you know, where do I want, how do I want to have my kids prepare for when they go to college in 20 years? These are big, big discussions and things you want to do right, but they use a ton of energy. And it's actually, they've, they've analyzed it. Human psychology says they just, you take the easier path in everything, everything from a thought to a, to a job, to an activity, to, you know, and all I guess I think I do is I know that and I don't take the easier path because everybody else does. So it's this avoid the herd. Scott has heard this many times. My core life, you know, my life mantra is just avoid the herd. Even though I look, I always say, I look like I should be a banker, you know, and, uh, you know, I, 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 when I look at myself from your eyes, you're like, this guy doesn't avoid the herd at all. But some other place in my background got me to, I'm not in a country club, and again, no harm, no foul, but I, I get around people who look like me, and it drives me a little insane. I just, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. And so I need to be around folks that are, challenging different different viewpoints. I love to get in arguments and debates. So I don't know where exactly it came from, but it's in there. And I'd say that the, the takeaway is avoid the herd. For me, as a takeaway is avoid the herd and do the hard, you know, think about the hard stuff. Let yourself really wallow in the hard stuff. Don't only do the easy stuff. Thank you. That's a great, that's a great challenge. You know, I one thing I'd like to highlight here, and I think it's important for early stage, even later stage companies, is you really have to think about what type of investor you're looking for, what kind of mentors do you surround yourself with, you know, what kind of diversity you're trying to create across your team. And there's gender diversity, ethnic diversity, there's diversity of thought and experience. And I think as you build your, your company, your leadership team, your board, your advisors, it's really important to surround yourself with people that are different and, and complement you and push and stretch you in unique ways. And that's, hopefully you're getting a chance to see the role Gordon plays with High Alpha that's just so important. So when we raise capital, and we're so fortunate to have Emergence as our lead investor, and, and really Gordon is our only board member along with uh, Asante, who's, who's a board observer, Gordon compliments me, my Christian, and Eric remarkably well and pushes us to think really, really differently. And, and I think that's really important. And, and Gordon and I built this really wonderful friendship over the years because we have shared values around how we think about family and relationships and business and the kind of people we want to work with. But Gordon's wired really, really differently, differently than me. I do belong to a country club. I think about businesses going from $1 million to $3 million to $10 million. I think differently. But that's why, that's why we love having you as part of High Alpha, Gordon, because you stretch me and our, and our team in really, really unique ways. So let's use that maybe as, as the next topic, which is all of our young companies are raising capital or will be raising capital soon. They think a lot about how to position their business to attract awesome investors who want to be a part of it. You know, and I, I'd love to hear from you maybe what, what advice you'd give young and early stage companies on raising capital from the right firms, but also the right people. And I think you've pointed out in a really profound way, even within emergence, who has an amazing reputation, one partner to the next to the next, you guys operate really, really differently. So what, what words of wisdom would you have for our crowd there? 
So, yeah, so I think the high order bit is you're not really raising money from a firm, you're raising from a partner, right? There's a, some partner who has a particular viewpoint on the world. I, as you now can tell, if you had any idea, and I hope a few of you do, of a coaching network company, just come and talk to me. Because I promise you, I will be all over and interested in, in what you're doing. Obviously, that's not the only thing I'd be interested in, but that is really important. So find the partner that either comes out of the industry you're focused on or you know, has a particular angle. And I'm sure you already have heard this, and there's blogs on this all over the place. And by the way, one of the things I strive to do is I try to think about as I'm talking, are you saying, I've heard that, Gordon. I've heard that. I hate to say, I've heard. If, if you come back to me after this conversation and say, I, I'd heard all about coaching networks. It was already pretty obvious. Then I've really done, to me, a carnal sin. If I, I hate the, 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 all of us in any business, if we're saying the thing that everybody has already heard a few times and they're just like, okay, one more guy, person saying that, that's, I don't ever want to be that guy. So please tell me. If I do, raise your hand. Say, can you stop talking about that, Gordon? So I really, so it's important to find the, the, the partner who cares about what you're doing. And then I guess just to add that maybe that one's on the obvious category. The unobvious is, or less obvious, is VCs do want the sizzle, right? They want, and it's not just because they don't understand what you're doing and they want to, you know, they just want to know there's some X factor, something that could absolutely change the game. And it can't be the, well, this team is going after, it's a great team, it's a great people, that's great. They're going after an, an interesting market because all the markets are pretty well understood. And they're, they've figured out how to have a selling strategy, which are all really important. They need something unobvious above that. So it's either a unique angle you have to a customer that they've never understood before. We just did it today on, on an idea that High Alpha is working on that at the end of the day, I've heard it and I kind of went to quick form of, I got it, I see where you guys are headed, but all right, keep going, like something else. And then kept on pulling and pulling and pulling and something else started to come out. What you need to do is lead with, I'm sure you already understand basically my industry, basically this, and I'll tell you all this great stuff, but let me just tell you what you don't already understand. And I've just found that when, when I hear that from an investor, from an entrepreneur, that piques my interest, and guess what happens? Around the partnership, that's what we share. We don't share the, here's the ARR. It's like, you know what's really interesting is this person is amazing, interesting background that I didn't expect, or an angle into a go-to-market strategy that I didn't expect, or a viewpoint on where the market's headed. That's the secret sauce that they're looking for. And that's what makes a, a, either a round come together or a round all of a sudden uh, go much higher. I'll, just, I'll say that both Chorus and Textio have done incredibly well in a fundraising perspective because this is new. And VCs are like, whoa, I don't know what this is, but I better watch out. <laughs> and I'm not saying we all, we're not playing to the piper. I, I think you can tell, I very much believe that this is gonna matter, but just being different will matter when you're raising money. Just try not to be in the herd because they'll, they'll all do their quick dissection of you and it's just not that interesting. Stay up to date with High Alpha, our portfolio companies, and the future of Enterprise Cloud. Subscribe to our newsletter to get portfolio updates, new company launch information, and the latest content in your inbox every month. Visit highalpha.com slash newsletter to subscribe. That's highalpha.com slash newsletter. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. 
Speaker Series Rewind is brought to you by High Alpha, a venture studio that designs and builds B2B SaaS companies. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts wherever you listen. You can also subscribe or find additional content at highalpha.com slash podcast. We'd really appreciate any reviews and it'll help us reach more awesome people like you. Catch you next time.